Welcome back to the program. Recently, you've probably heard that the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association are seeking to expand the use of statins, cholesterol-lowering drugs that some have argued should be put in our water supply. But really, how safe are these drugs? And are their benefits all they are cracked up to be? And what's the nexus with the fact that they also happen to be the world's best-selling drug and the biggest tool in enhancing the profits of big pharma? Why have doctors, even those that don't stand to benefit from those profits, been so smitten with these drugs that have been linked to severe muscle pain, neuropathy, nerve damage, memory loss, sexual dysfunction, and even Lou Gehrig's disease? My guest, Dr. Barbara Roberts, has been trying to put her finger in the dam of Big Pharma and try to bring some reason to the debate about statins. She does so in her new book, The Truth About Statins. Dr. Barbara Roberts is an associate clinical professor at the Alpert Medical School of Brown University, as well as director of the Women's Cardiac Center at the Merriam Hospital in Rhode Island. Her articles detailing her research into cholesterol-lowering drugs have been published in medical journals, and she's often quoted in magazines. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Barbara Roberts here to talk about the truth about statins. Barbara Roberts, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Great to have you here. Let's begin by talking a little bit about what statins do in terms of lowering cholesterol. Okay. Statins interfere with an enzyme that's crucial in the manufacture of cholesterol by our bodies. Now, cholesterol has been painted as a villain, but it's not. In fact, cholesterol is necessary for every cell in our body. It forms an integral part of the membrane around our cells. 25% of the cholesterol in our body is in the brain. It's crucial to the proper functioning of the nervous system. Cholesterol is involved in digestion, manufacture of vitamin D, hormones. So this enzyme blocks the, the body's ability to manufacture cholesterol and therefore lowers the cholesterol level. But it turns out that cholesterol is a rather weak risk factor for developing the specific kind of hardening of the arteries that we call atherosclerosis, where plaque builds up in the arteries. It's a very weak risk factor. Lifestyle factors such as smoking or being obese or being sedentary, not exercising, have a far greater risk of Develop, uh, causing you to develop plaque in your arteries than an elevated cholesterol does. To what extent has the fascination with the degree to which the medical community has embraced statins, to what extent is it the magic bullet phenomenon that, that it's easier than trying to get people to change their diet, change their lifestyle, so we just give them a pill? That's part of it, Jeff, but it's also that these drugs have been very, very heavily marketed to not only physicians, but to the lay public. Before Lipitor went off patent, you could hardly put on the TV without seeing an ad for Lipitor, usually showing, you know, middle-aged, healthy-appearing people. But the fact of the matter is, statins are not nearly effective as they're cracked up to be. Even the most ardent proponent of statins agrees that anywhere between 60 and 80% of cardiac events are not prevented by statins. That's something called residual risk. And Big Pharma was all excited about residual risk because they thought, well, we'll have everybody on statins, then we'll put them on another pill to raise their good cholesterol, and they'll get even more profits and, and more decrease in risk. But, you know, they never tell you the absolute risk reduction. They tell you the relative risk reduction. But there's a number that's very important called the number needed to treat. 
And sometimes the risk reduction you see in these studies when you compare statins to placebo is like 2% versus 1%. Now, they don't say there's a 1% reduction in risk. They say there's a 50% relative risk reduction because, of course, 1 is 50% of 2. So these drugs have been very heavily marketed, and they've been marketed in a way that is not honest. Talk a little bit about the Jupiter trials and what they really represented, which gave the FDA kind of a license to try and expand people's use of statins. Exactly, and I was so enraged when the FDA expanded the indications for statin based on the Jupiter trial. That's, that's what impelled me to write my book. Now, the Jupiter trial was a trial in which uh, close to 18,000 people were randomized to either placebo or rosuvastatin. And to get into the trial, you had to have a bad cholesterol level under 130, but you had to have evidence of inflammation based on a blood test called high-sensitivity CRP. Now, talk about conflict of interest. The study was paid for by AstraZeneca, the maker of rosuvastatin, and the lead author and the head principal investigator holds the patent for the blood test, HS, high-sensitivity CRP. Most of the authors had ties to big pharmaceutical companies. And the, the trial was stopped prematurely for benefit. It was supposed to go five years. It was stopped after a median of 1.9 years, so under two years. They stopped the trial. They said, we got incredible benefit. So I rather naively wrote off to the uh, lead investigator and asked if he would send me the data on women because they said there was no difference in the uh, benefit, that men and women benefited equally. And I asked for the absolute numbers. And they never sent them to me. But when then they finally published the results in women, it was very apparent that, the, that women did not lower their risk of heart attack. They did not lower their risk of stroke. They did not lower their risk of dying. The only so-called benefit was in the decrease in what we call the need for revascularization. Now, the need for revascularization is driven by the symptom of chest pain. And statins, like nitroglycerin, dilate blood vessels. So if you have blood vessels that have a little plaque in them and they go into spasm and you're on a statin, you're less likely to develop chest pain. That's what we call a soft endpoint. So uh, as far as I was concerned... This study was riddled with conflict of interest. It was stopped way too early. And even though it was stopped way too early, they did report a 25% increase in your risk of developing diabetes in the people treated with the statin compared to placebo. Well, I want to talk about that next because it would be problematic enough if the benefits certainly were not as indicated as a result of all of these trials. But in fact, in addition to the lack of benefit, the drugs themselves have a horrendous set of side effects. Absolutely. I mean, I have seen people wind up bedridden, unable to walk because of damage to their muscles and nerves. And the damage isn't always reversible. Some people who develop severe muscle damage develop an autoimmune response to their own muscles so that even after the statin is stopped, they'll have pain and weakness and elevations in their muscle enzymes for months and years after the, the statin is stopped. Jeff, I have a cholesterol of 300. I would never take a statin. 
My mother had a similar cholesterol. She lived to 88, never took a statin, didn't die of heart disease. It's not all about the cholesterol. We know that adhering to a plant-based Mediterranean-style diet lowers your risk of having a cardiac event more than any statin, and it's completely without side effects. How have we gotten to the point where so many doctors, so much of the, the mainstream medical establishment, those that don't necessarily benefit from the drugs or anything else, have all been so brainwashed, is the only word I can use, by the alleged benefits of these statins? I think most doctors are very busy and they don't have the time to read the full reports of these clinical trials line by line and analyze the data. And so they just take the word of the drug rep who comes to their office, pays for lunch for them and their staff, you know, treats them to dinner at expensive restaurants at night, and they don't really look at the data critically enough. Talk a little bit about some of these other side effects and the real dangers that have been caused by statins. We're also seeing more and more evidence of neuropathy. Neuropathy means damage to the nerves. There was a study out of Denmark that I mentioned in my book that showed um, if you were on a statin for more than two years, your relative risk of developing damage to multiple nerves was increased 26-fold. 26-fold. And I've seen time and again in my practice, people develop problems with their nerves, people develop cognitive dysfunction. I had a professor who was unable to do his research, unable to supervise his fellows, became extremely depressed and realized that the thing that had changed was that he was on a statin. I hadn't started on him, <laughs> gratefully. Uh, and he stopped and, you know, over the ensuing months, his ability to concentrate, his his ability to remember came back. We see this all the time. We know that particularly high-dose statins and these guidelines for the first time are saying, basically, you need to put people in this group on high-dose statins and, and the other group on moderate-dose statins. And if, the, if these guidelines were followed, an additional... 13.5 million healthy Americans would be on a drug with almost no benefit and with serious side effects. You have a 2% chance of developing diabetes from statins. And it's not just in people who are going to get diabetes. Otherwise, the Women's Health Initiative study of over 160,000 healthy women showed that even women who were normal weight in those women there was an 89% greater risk of developing diabetes. And in the whole group, there was a 48% increased risk of diabetes. So it was actually the women at lowest risk who were of normal body weight who had the greatest risk of developing diabetes. And we know that statins interfere with your body's own sensitivity to its own insulin. What is the percentage of those patients that get severe or any kind of significant reaction from statins? It's about 25%, but it's probably more. And these randomized control trials are very poor. It's a very poor way to determine adverse effects. For example, the, the biggest trial, which was called the Heart Protection Study, which randomized over 20,000 people, in order to get into that trial, you had to go on a statin for four to six weeks. And if you couldn't tolerate the statin, you never got into the trial. So these studies are fraudulent. 
they're biased, they're bought and paid for by big pharmaceutical companies because billions and billions of dollars are at stake. And I fault the American Heart Association. The American Heart Association takes bill, millions, rather, millions of dollars in donations from big pharmaceutical companies. They also take millions of dollars from big food companies. They put their so-called heart check uh, on products like boar's head ham, which is high in sodium, and other processed meats that are high in sodium. And we know from an analysis of 1,600 studies that looked at about a million people that just one serving of processed meat a day increases your risk of developing diabetes by 19% and heart disease by 42%. So the American Heart Association, in exchange for a lot of money, is telling people these foods are good for your heart when it's the opposite. They're bad for your heart. They're why, bad for your health. Why are we seeing this change right now from the American Heart Association and the American uh, Cardiology Association? Why are we seeing their, their suddenly increase the amount of statins that they're recommending? I can only imagine that it's a, a ploy to protect the profits of big pharmaceutical companies. To what extent, I mean, especially given that some of these drugs are, as you say, are off patent, to what extent is, is that an issue in all of this? But Jeff, if you can put another 13 or 14 million in this country alone on statins, that's still a lot of money. Even if some of these big pharmaceutical companies are, are making the generics of the drugs that used to be on patent, or they're licensing, you know, uh, other companies to do it. So there's still, we're still talking about huge amounts of money. What are we seeing in terms of new therapies and new drugs that might begin to replace some of these statins? Well, they're working on a, a couple of different classes of medicines that they're claiming will lower LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, even more. And my prediction is as soon as those come out, they'll say, you know, statins are too dangerous. This new drug is much better. And, and oh, by the way, it's probably going to cost, you know, 10 times more. There's also a lot of research going on into drugs that will raise the good cholesterol, raise the HDL cholesterol. Right. None of those have shown any benefit. I was actually a principal investigator in the AIM High trial, which randomized people to either niacin plus statin or statin plus placebo. And that trial showed no benefit of raising the HDL with niacin. If these guidelines go forward, and there seems to be some resistance to them in various quarters, that oh, that they've, been, they've been very controversial. Uh, some Harvard researchers looked at the new calculator that they told doctors they have to use, and pointed out that, according to their calculations, the new calculator overestimates risk anywhere from 75 to 150 percent of the time. Based on this calculator. What they're saying, because I plugged the numbers in. For example, if you plug in um, the risk calculator for an African-American man aged 65 and up with normal blood pressure and normal cholesterol, they're saying all of these people should be on statins with no evidence to back it up. The other aspect is that the, the recommendation with these statins is that once people are on them, they're on them virtually for life. Right, but we know, for example, that in people over the age of 65 treated with statins, you know, not in clinical trials, but out in the community, almost half of them have stopped taking them by the end of two years because 
so many people develop side effects. My own husband couldn't tolerate any statin on the market. We went to Italy back in the mid-1990s, and he was having prosciutto di parma every night, came home, his <laughs> cholesterol was 300. His primary care doctor put him on a statin. Within days, he had severe muscle pain and couldn't run, and my husband loved to run. So they stopped the statin. The pain went away. They tried a different statin. Same thing happened over and over again. So I said, this is ridiculous, Joe. From now on, you know, we're going to eat a good Mediterranean-style diet. And his cholesterol came down, not in the range that maybe some of these people would like to see, but um, he's perfectly healthy. It's now almost 20 years later. He still hasn't had a cardiac event. The other thing that's, imp- that's interesting is that in 2001, when the last time the guidelines came out, there were certain LDL levels that doctors were told they had to get their patients to. With the new guidelines, they say, oh, guess what? There really was never any scientific evidence for these cut points. We don't want you to worry about cut points, but if your patient has heart disease, they should be on high-dose statin. So where did that science come from? Are there cardiac patients, are there those patients that should be on statins? The people who derive benefit appear to be middle-aged men who've had a heart attack. And again, we're talking about lowering your risk by a couple of percentage points. We know, again, because the study was done of the Mediterranean diet and people who've survived heart attack, and the Mediterranean diet compared to the low-fat diet that the American Heart Association is still pushing, the people in that study, the people in that study who survived a heart attack, who were randomized to the Mediterranean diet group, had a 70% lowering in their risk of having a recurrent heart attack, which is three times better than any statin has been ever shown to do. Is there significant cost in the treatment of the side effects from these statins? Yes. yes. As I said, I've, had, I've, I've known of patients who wound up bedridden, unable to walk from statins. Is there any difference in the various kinds of statins that patients should be on the lookout for? All of the statins have potential side effects. The two that seem to have the least likelihood of causing muscle pain and muscle damage are pravastatin and fluvastatin. And the risk of diabetes seems to be greater in the more potent statins like atorvastatin, which was Lipitor, and rosuvastatin, which is still under patent as Crestor. And the risk of side effects goes up as the dose goes up. For every doubling of the risk of, uh, I'm sorry, every doubling of the dose of statins, you only get an additional 6% lowering of your LDL level, but you increase your uh, risk of side effects by more than that. What is your sense of how this current controversy is going to play out? I think that more and more people are going to wake up to the fact that the American Heart Association uh, and Big Pharma may not have their best interests at heart especially if more and more healthy people are put on statins and develop side effects, as they will, I think that more and more people are going to demand uh, that these guidelines be redone and adjusted. The other thing with the guideline writers is seven out of the 15 writers admitted that they had taken money from big pharmaceutical companies. The chairperson said that he hadn't taken any money since 2008. 
And he was definitely not going to take any money from pharmaceutical companies for another two years. What's that all about? Before 2008, he was taking money from every one of the manufacturers of statins. Are we supposed to assume that when he was asked to chair the guideline committee in 2008, his, you know, his mind went blank and he was not influenced at all by all the money he had taken from Big Pharma up until that point? I mean, you have to be really naive to believe that. Talk a little bit about what patients can tell their doctor when their doctors are insisting or really urging them strongly to take statins. I think you have to just say no to statins the way you have to just say no to illicit drugs. I, I, you know, because I'm known for someone who's a statin skeptic, I see a lot of the people in my area of the woods, New England, who are intolerant to statins. And I tell them, I don't care at all if you stop your statins. In fact, if you're suffering, you're having muscle pain, you can't think, you're, you're having neuropathy symptoms, stop the statin. All I ask is that you go on a Mediterranean diet. And, you know, this is not like a diet diet. This is the way people ate in Sicily and Crete in Italy for thousands of years. It's a plant-based diet. Olive oil is the main source of fat calories. If you don't have a problem with alcohol, you should have a glass of red wine with dinner every night. You should keep, you should treat meat as a condiment, not an entree. And every day you should have fruit and vegetables and nuts. I tell my patients, if you're really interested in your heart health, you'll be, you will eat food that's been monkeyed with by human beings as little as possible. Because the average American diet is full of junk food, which is processed carbohydrates, lots of sugar, lots of high fructose corn syrup, lots of trans fats, which are the only dangerous fat. And then we wonder why we have an epidemic of obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. Dr. Barbara Roberts, her book is The Truth About Statins, Risks and Alternatives to Cholesterol-Lowering Drugs. Doctor, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.